and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas. We are breaking down Manchester United's 1-0 win over Watford in the third round of the FA Cup. A fifth-minute goal from Scott McTominay was enough. Carl, I think we can criticize the on-field performance quite a bit, but big picture-wise, I think the job is done. You, you were able to get Bruno a rest. You were able to rest Rashford for most of the match. Aaron Wan-Bissaka gets a full rest. Harry Maguire only plays one half. Job done, and now you just move on to Burnley. Is the game over? I, sorry, I fell asleep uh, like after the first <laughs> 45 minutes. No, you're right. I, we, we definitely have to take that big picture view. If we start to go dig into this game a little deeper, we're probably going to uh, talk ourselves to sleep, to be honest with you. so And our listeners. The less we talk about it, the better. Maybe what we can do instead is you know focus on some of the performances of some of the fringe players. And yeah. give our listeners, you know, a little bit of what we saw and, and the positives and areas that they need to improve upon. For United, there were nine changes. I got a bunch of them wrong, so I've got to take an L on this one. Dean Henderson in a comp- competition, you expected that. I thought Axel Twanzebe would get the start on the right. Instead, he was center back alongside Eric Bailly. Brandon Williams played on the right. Alex Tellas played on the left. You had Scott McTominay, who captained the side. He had Donny van de Beek, Lingard, and Juan Mata with him in the midfield. Oh, Daniel James as well. And then Mason Greenwood up top, although some would argue based on what we watched that United just did not play with a striker at all. Yeah, yeah. Mason uh, seemed to be wandering down the wings for, for large periods of that game where maybe he needs to just stay in the middle. He made some nice runs down the wing, but... Then once he did that, there was no recognized striker in the box to cross it to. Uh, Lingard's not that type of player to make those runs in there. Mata isn't either. They all like to sit on the edge of the box. So that was one of the issues that we had. To your other point, it took me a little bit by surprise that Scott was the captain. But I honestly thought he, he had a captain's performance in that game from start to finish. He started the game well. That was a fantastic header to find the net. As soon as he had that header, in fact, it reminded me of what we want Harry Maguire to do. That's the type <laughs> of plays where you get your head on the ball, but you're hitting the target as opposed yeah. to you know winning that header and then it just going over the bar or something. It happened in the game again today where Harry Maguire got his head on the ball. And the commentators, in fact, were along the same lines as us where, hey, you, you got to get those headers on target. And they even brought up some statistics of his time at the different clubs, and I think he had scored the most goals at his first club, which was Sheffield United. So hoping that Maguire can add some more goals to his locker. And the only reason we saw Harry Maguire play today was because Eric Bailly went down with an unfortunate injury. Ball comes into the box. Dean Henderson rushes out to punch it away. Instead, he lands a knockout blow on his own teammate. Bayou was down on the ground for quite some time. We definitely have some concern there. Carl, I was a bit puzzled to see Eric Bayou play this match because I thought he would get rested and play against Burnley. And so now when I'm seeing him play against Watford in this FA Cup match, I'm questioning why he wasn't there in the match against City, a crucial fixture considering it was the semifinal. Yeah, Vivek, I think the only reason that I can think of that happened was you know how they have the statistics on players who are more likely to get injured based on the number of minutes they've had on the field I just think that Bai might have been in that red zone 
because the city game came too soon. Now, if we had the city game and the Watford game reversed in terms of dates, I do believe that Bai would have played that city game. So I think it was purely to do with the number of days in between games as opposed to picking Watford game versus a city game. I hope that makes sense. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Bai, before he got injured, we saw him on the ball more, bringing the ball up as you would expect a Harry Maguire to do when he's usually in the lineup. Misplaced some passes. That was a theme for United in that first half after a dominant opening 15 minutes where they came up with the one goal that they needed. Your thoughts on United's misplaced passes and where that all stemmed from? I think everything stemmed from complacency, if I'm being honest with you. After the first 5-10 minutes, United clearly were the superior team. And I think the players knew it. And they started to take undue risks. And those undue risks started to build Watford's confidence. If you looked at the formation, United played a 4-2-3-1, whereas Watford just played a straight 4-4-2. And the amount of space in between the lines that Scott and Van de Beek were finding was just acres of space. They had so much time on the ball and were able to pick their passes. However, the movement ahead wasn't what was expected. And then that led to a little bit of uh, sloppiness from United. It started from everybody. I mean, Eric Bailly, I counted at least three misplaced passes. You had Daniel James, who was a live wire in the beginning of this game, cutting in and then shooting. And he had some good chances. But then once Watford started to pick up on this, James had no plan B. As far as I'm concerned, Daniel James was just a one-trick pony out there. He kept showing the inside and tried to cut in and would not fake right and go left even once. Because if he did that, the defender would would be in trouble because they wouldn't know which way to go because they were clearly afraid of his pace. But that didn't happen. And this is something I would love to know what's going on behind the scenes from a coaching perspective because you... You see Daniel James day in, day out, or whenever he's playing, and it's the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I don't know what needs to happen, whether a lone move is the best for him so that he can get more chances where the stakes are a little lower than at Manchester United. But for me, Daniel James was almost a catalyst of sorts to our play dwindling over the first half. And as a result, uh, getting Watford back into the game. To take it one step further, from a defensive point of view, you notice that Watford were getting a lot more corners. And then when the ball was coming out, all Daniel James needed to do was hold the ball and just get our players out. But he kept losing the ball in important areas and new crosses were coming in and subsequent corners. So yep. th- that that is extremely frustrating, even for your own teammates, because they've just dealt with the corner. You made a great point when we were talking off air about United's lack of size. And that that is completely hung out there for everybody to see during set pieces, whether it's corners or free kicks. You got the likes of Mata, James, Lingard, Van der Beek, who are nowhere close to six feet. That that was just a cause for concern and all because of our own mistakes. Yeah, I definitely hear you there. I've never been high on Daniel James at the club. I, I think I said at the beginning of the season, you use him for fixtures like these where you can live with it cup match early on where the stakes aren't very high and now you just move on because there's a bigger picture what did you think of the way Lingard played because we were seeing him after a very long period of time 
I was surprised that United had him playing more centrally and Mata was playing a lot more wide. I thought those roles would have been flipped. It, w- it wasn't very often that we saw Jesse Lingard out wide. And so that was a little puzzling to me. I thought he was positive on the ball and I thought he made some good decisions. You can see sort of along the same lines with Daniel James, this is the type of fixture that he can play in. You you can't see him in, playing in a meaningful Premier League game. You can't see him playing in a, a cup match of significance. If this was, say, the quarterfinals or the semifinals, he's barely going to make it to the subs bench, right? So within the context of what you can expect from the United team that was put out there, I thought he was okay. My expectations for him, as you said, are low because he hasn't played in so long. I can't remember the last fixture that he was involved in. Was it the last game of the season? No, it was the. I think it was the League Cup where we played against Brighton. That was probably his last appearance for us. I had low expectations, and I'll say he met those low expectations. Yeah, for, for me, what I saw from Lingard was extremely promising for the first 30 minutes. I thought he was very neat in possession. He didn't take too many touches and was able to turn it over. Now, one problem that we had before Bruno actually came to the club was we had a lot of those players who were neat in possession and could turn it over, but we didn't have anybody that could unlock a defense play that defense splitting pass, whether it's through the lines, over the top. We didn't have anybody who could take that risk, right? And I thought that was one of our issues again today. Mm -hmm. Especially when you've got the number 10, which was Lingard in this situation. He was happy to play the pass out wide to the wing and a lot of lateral movement, right? Lateral passes. Or it was Greenwood running down the channels and he would give it to him there. But you rarely saw a pass through the middle. In fact, the only person who did that was Juan Mata. And he had a fantastic pass to Daniel James, but the keeper was on his toes and was able to get out to the ball before James could get there. So even more fuel to the fire in terms of your point of view, which is Juan Mata should have been playing that number 10 and Jesse Lingard out wide. I think the reason Ole did play the formation he did was Lingard's natural position and his best position is that number 10 in behind the striker. So he probably wanted to make it as easy as possible for him and to give him some confidence moving into the fixtures ahead. And I think that's why he played him there. That's interesting. I I was also thinking maybe it had a bit to do with him possibly having a better relationship with Mason Greenwood and possibly being able to link up with Greenwood better up top. Maybe we can move on to Greenwood's performance where he gets, I would like to think, the role that he wants at the club long term, which is up front being able to bang goals from his left and right. Are you sure he wants that? Because it it didn't look like that in this game. That's exactly exactly where I was going to go, Carl. I was very puzzled uh, to see him go drift left, drift wide right. It seemed like he wanted to be everywhere but central. One thing that does disappoint me a little bit over the last two matches, both from Anthony Marshall and Mason Greenwood, we've talked over and over about how these guys need to learn from Cavani and learn about his movement. And we've seen in the last two matches where they had an opportunity to say, hey, I picked up on that. We saw none of that. There was none of those runs to the near post where you're creating space for someone maybe to run onto it uh, at the far post. There was none of the real dropping deep and helping play build up. There was none of constantly being 
on the defender's shoulders and trying to push, even if it's offside, who cares? Trying to push those lines. There was none of that. And so that's something that I find a little discouraging. You know what? United uh, of late has been bringing in former players as part of their coaching staff. I wouldn't mind if they brought in Robin Van Persie to come and purely just coach Martial and uh, Greenwood. I think there's a lot they could learn from strikers runs into the box because clearly they don't seem to be watching Cavani enough and and just understanding and learning some of those movements, right, Uh, that you've just pointed out. So definitely something I'm sure Ole will talk to them about being a former striker. But let's hope that they can add some of those movements to their repertoire. It's funny, you you saying that just got me wondering, you know, just thinking of a practice match where you have Cavani and Van Persie on one side going up against Marshall and Greenwood on the other side. That would be... I think uh, I know who's winning that. <laughs> you can forget about how slow they might be because the, the speed of thought in their heads and where they're going will probably make up for all of that. Yeah. Now, now, one guy who I was definitely eager to see, and I'm sure you were as well, was Donny van de Beek. Uh, we're really hoping, A, that he starts the game, which he did, and B, that he would give us a good performance, more so for his own self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say that this was a good performance and he would have taken something from this game? I think it was a good performance. I, it, def- it definitely wasn't a great performance. And I feel like to really get in Solskjaer's head and leave a bit of an imprint going forward, I think he needed a great performance in terms of pushing on to that next level where he's really making Solskjaer think about him versus Pogba versus Scott, whoever, right? And just getting into that midfield. I don't know if he did enough in that regard. He had that incredible backheel layoff to Juan Mata, which I... Really think Mata should have finished. That should have been 2-0. Kit probably kills the game right there. That didn't happen. You expect those nice little one touches, the triangle plays where you see that connectivity. He's a master of those triangles, man. Absolutely. If he can just add a bit more directness, that's something I just feel you have to have in your locker as a Premier League player. The ability where, hey, okay, they're, they're getting a bit tighter in the spaces. And maybe now as they're putting this pressure on, we can unlock them. You know, far too often, I thought when United were trying to switch play from one side to the other, they probably had the wrong man trying to send it. And the ball ends up going out of the play or, you know, it just fizzles out. And if he could have been that guy that was doing that, then that's how you, I think, get in Solskjaer's head and say, okay, he's he's really doing a job here and maybe that's something he can do going forward. See, I, that's an excellent point, Vivek. So it, it actually leads into what I wanted to say. So I watched this game purely with the lens of, okay, Pogba's leaving the club. Can Van de Beek fill his position seamlessly where we don't miss him at all, right? That's how I was watching this whole game. So every time Van de Beek had the ball, I was like, what would Pogba do in this situation? Can Van de Beek do the same? For the most part, those nice little neat touches. In fact, Van der Beek was very quick. He would release it much quicker than Pogba would. There was none of that shielding of the ball. The mm-hmm. triangles that he played was far quicker than what Pogba would have done. So these are all the positives. Now, the one big negative is we really need that player who can take the ball, play those long diagonals, and switch the play. Because not only do you buy yourself time, you catch the defense that's not set up yet. And I saw Van der Beek have, I counted at least three times, where he had the option to do that, and he chose not to, which means one of two things. 
either he doesn't have that in his locker or number two, he just doesn't have the confidence to play that ball because you'd mm-hmm. rather keep possession, right? So that that is one area where I'm going to keep watching whenever Van Der Beek plays to see if he has it in his locker uh, because moving forward, at the end of the day, how much are we going to miss Paul Pogba, right? That's the question. And and the the smaller that is, the better it is for United. I think we're all resigned to the fact that Paul Pogba is leaving in the summer. Now it's just a question of can we develop someone to take over so that there's no lapse in you know momentum that we're building to move up the table. So we've talked about you know spraying the ball around. We've talked about learning from your seniors. It looked like Brandon Williams learned a little too much offensively from Aaron Wan-Bissaka. <laughs> I thought his hesitation to get forward was very disappointing especially considering he got to play on his preferred side. He's right-footed. Last season, he was asked to do a job on the left side, backing up Luke Shaw, considering you know he was asked to do something that should be considered uncomfortable for him. I thought he did a good job. You get one opportunity to shine. There's pressure that comes with that. He's a young kid, but I thought he could have done more going forward. So I'll I'll disagree with you on this one because I was watching that and I wanted to see offensively does Brandon Williams give us more. Now I will say that compared to Aaron Wan Basaka, I did think that Brandon Williams' position was about ten yards further up the pitch, which kind of helped with our passing. Now the one area where I'll defend Brandon Williams, the reason I don't think he crossed the ball as much as he could have was because you you had Greenwood making those runs down the channel for Williams to pass it to him, right? So Obviously, Williams took the easy pass to him, but because Greenwood was running down the channel, there was actually not many people to cross it into the box for. Because if his targets are one Mata, Lingard, I mean, <laughs> we're not we're not winning any headers with those guys. So I, I will enough. give I will give Williams a pass. I would like to see Williams play with Edison Cavani. I think that will be a true you know, apples to apples comparison of what one Basaka can give offensively versus Brandon Williams. So for me, the jury's still out on him. Jury's definitely still out there. He's so young. There's so much to develop. I just think in this match, I hope Ole sort of gave that speech before the game where, hey, it's Watford. It's the third round. Like there shouldn't have been that type of pressure performance wise. They should have been able to come out, just really express themselves and that really faded after the first 15, 20 minutes. And so from that regard, I would have liked to see the young guys especially just be a bit more adventurous, be a bit more free, maybe with the exception of Greenwood being a little too free to get out of his position. <laughs> I would have liked to see everyone enjoy the moment a bit more. Tuan Zebe, center back, thoughts on his performance? I mean, just, you know, standard. He did what was needed to do. He, uh, yeah. positionally, he was there most of the time. I think there was just one one opportunity where there was a corner that came in where he was standing at the near post and the ball went over him, but Bai kind of saved him because he Bai got in to intercept the header. This was like during one of the many corners that Watford got towards the end of the first half. Apart from that, I thought he was he was steady. It looked like Bai and him had a good partnership together. I would have loved to have seen that developed throughout the second half when we were put under more pressure, but that didn't come to be. Because one of the things that I was looking for was, is Eric Bailly back and on form only with Harry Maguire or with anybody? Because that makes a massive difference. Because then you know that, okay, Bailly is now turning into what his potential is, right? So 
Unfortunately, that was something that we didn't get to see. I really, really hope that Bai is okay and he's good to go for that Burnley game because mm-hmm. I do not want to see Victor Lindelof against long ball Burnley because they've got <laughs> uh, they've got Wood and Ashley Barnes who just feast off of that and they know how to body somebody. They 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 put their bodies about, and that's definitely an area where Lindelof is suspect to say the least. I thought Twan Zebe did a good job as well. He also had to cover a fair amount of times for Alex Tellas defending Ismail Sar. <laughs> that matchup was horrendous. I was shocked that Sar came off. I could not believe that. But Sar had the beating of Tellas all day. I mean, he was eating him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, man. Yeah, so I was shocked with that substitution. I mean, even though he only played, what was it, those 45, 50 minutes? I th- I still think he was the noisy neighbor. I don't think there was anyone else that really came close to having as much of an impact as he did. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I can see what all the fuss is about him when it comes to Saar. We saw that last season, to be honest, when he was in the Premier League. You can see why Liverpool are you know chasing after him because I think he would fit very nicely into that system that he has where he could probably easily replace a, a Mane or a Salah whenever they want to rotate their squad. Carl, who would you have for the Cantona caller? For, so why Cantona caller, without a shadow of a doubt, was Scott, I'm the captain now, McTominay. <laughs> <laughs> McCaptainay? Does that make sense? <laughs> That's not a bad one, actually. That might be a, that might be a future uh, a slogan. When the fans are back in the stadium, you could have that as a nice banner in the stands. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I thought he was great. Obviously got the goal. Uh, shout out to Tellas on the corner. That was a nice delivery. And he had a couple of those. You know, Defensively, I thought that he played a crucial role when Bayi was off and he stepped in to be the center back. Yeah, he had and, two headers, right? When yeah. we were down to 10. And he yeah. had cl- two crucial interceptions. So uh, that was a very important role that he played before Harry Maguire eventually came on as the sub. And in midfield, he did everything you would ask for. And he was the one who was spraying the ball around a little bit. And you saw him constantly going towards the ball and looking to keep the play moving, keep United going forward. So that was uh, very positive to see. No issues there. He gets the Cantona caller. Beckham boot. I feel like Daniel James is standing right in front of us, asking, begging, pleading. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you have a last minute change. No, for me, Daniel James uh, gets the boot. A second, not I wouldn't say close second, but a second nominee for that would be Alex Tellis. I I didn't think he defended very well, but you know what? His his deliveries from an attacking point is what saved him from getting the boot. But I think he will get the boot for the Burnley game. So regardless, uh, <laughs> my pick is Daniel James, though. The last thing I want to touch on before we go to Burnley is Dean Henderson's performance and. I think the main thing that's worth having some type of discussion over is him coming out to balls. And the number of times he raced out was very interesting. Some of it, I I think over the long run, this can be a positive thing because at the end of the day, this was something we talked about in the last podcast where in a defensive partnership, you want to be able to understand the other defender's habits. And so if they're consistent in their approach, it makes it easier for you to make decisions. If this is the keeper who Dean Henderson is, and he races out like that, defenders now know that going forward and they can play accordingly. 
It's when there's indecision where you see him do one thing one time and maybe he does uh, another thing another. And I'm not talking about Dean Henderson here. I'm saying with a player in general. Lindelof is probably the best example of this in terms of his indecision. That's where you run into problems. And so I thought with Henderson, it was interesting to see. It was a little bit nerve wracking at times. But especially when he's able to come out that one save that he had early off the free kick. He, and he made himself big and made that save. That was an important save because that goes in the back of the net. It's 1-1, and now you really start to feel the pressure. Yeah, I was uh, definitely surprised to see how far out Henderson was coming to eliminate the danger. I thought maybe he was just doing that to stay awake in the game because it was that boring. Showed some speed. There was that one time he got to the ball before Sar. I was like, okay. Yeah, and he he needed to because <laughs> if, he, <laughs> if he didn't, that was going to be a goal and uh, some color of card was coming out if he took him out. <laughs> I think we're all good for this match. Like we said, the, the less said about this one, the better. Moving on to Burnley on January the 12th, people may look at the table and say, oh, Burnley are 16th. This is a guaranteed win. Should be an easy game. Absolutely expect a win. The way United have been playing, those should be the expectations going in. You should be able to take care of business against this team. But just for some perspective on the challenge that is ahead for United against Burnley, the first nine matches of the season... Burnley had one win, two draws, and six losses. Since then, the six matches they have played, they have three wins, two draws, and one loss. The first nine matches, they conceded 17 goals. Over the last six, they've only conceded three. You're probably looking at that and wondering, what the hell has changed? Ben Mee. He's their captain. He missed the first six matches of the season. Shortly after he came back, they lost 5-0 to Manchester City. But since then, that partnership with James Tarkowski has been rock solid. They're very difficult to break down. Carl, as you mentioned, they're extremely physical. This is a three points that you expect United to pick up because you need to take care of business against these teams. But by no means should United fans expect this to be easy. Not to forget, uh, Vivek, that Burnley also have Nick Pope in goal who has been pushing Jordan Pickford for the number one spot on the English team. And he's been doing a fabulous job. Last season, he had a lot of clean sheets. He's Mm -hmm. a big presence in the net. Uh, He's pretty tall. And so uh, not only do you have a settled back line, but you've also got a a very hard-to-beat keeper, right? So I'll be quite honest. I'm a little worried about this game. Coming on the back of so many games in such a short amount of time, these are the types of games where if you don't have that extra step in in your legs... This is the one where you can drop points, right? I'll put this out there. I think that if Victor Lindelof, if he starts the game and it's not Eric Bailly, I can see us dropping two points here. I can see us tying this game. I'm, I'm really, really hoping that Bailly is back because I was, I was going through who my starting lineup would be. I mean, I, I think Ole would go for the 4-2-3-1. And he's going to put out a, a strong one. Obviously, he's going to have De Gea. He's going to have Aaron Wan-Bissaka by Maguire Shaw in the back. He's going to have Scott and Fred in midfield. He's going to have Martial, Bruno, Rashford. And then he's going to have Cavani up top. That's who I think he's going to play with. And we have to get out of the blocks quickly. Because I think the best chance to score against this Burnley team is within the first 10 minutes. If we get that goal, we're going to win this game. If we have to break them down and Bruno's not 
at his uh, optimal 100%, we're going to have an issue. So that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, what do you think? So you have Scott and Fred together, right? Yes. I think that's where I would have Fred and Pogba together. I think Scott put on a performance, let him get his rest, and you move on from that. But we, we talked about this appropriate respect, and I feel like United, at the very least, should be able to assert themselves and show from the beginning that they're the dominant team, that Burnley will be you know, fighting to get this point. With that being said, I would have Fred and Pogba in the midfield just to have that extra bit of creati- creativity, especially if you're going to play Marshall and Rashford as your two wide options. If they're able to get in and around, Pogba can unlock that ball. If Cavani finds some space, Pogba can find that ball. So that that's probably the one uh, switch that I would make to the lineup that you have. Besides that, I'm with you with all the other choices. So you think Bailly is going to start over Lindelof? If he's healthy. Yeah. If he's fully recovered, then yeah, I, I would definitely want Bailly over Lindelof. If he's not, then the situation is what it is, right? You have to go with Lindelof. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I think if, if you're looking at the Burnley team and where attacking options come in, I think Dwight McNeil is someone who's who's got a, a decent left foot. And they're a bunch of big boys. So those corner kicks, which is one of our deficiencies, the set pieces, mm-hmm. and especially the run to the near post and then flicking yeah. on a header. If we're not if we're not awake, I can already see us conceding from that. So <laughs> this this seems like a, a pretty straightforward on on what we think Burnley's strategy is going to be. So I really hope the boys are prepared for that and they're not on their heels. Hopefully those set pieces don't come back to bite United and they can pick up the three points. A, a point obviously takes United to the top of the table, but three points, you want to do it in style and head to that Liverpool fixture with confidence. That's going to wrap it up for now for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. Join us after every match. Get in touch with us on the social platforms, wherever you find us. Let us know what you think. And all the reviews, ratings, they're all greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.